The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is a 2009 single sequel edition. Today we talk the Pink Panther 2. Let's see if I can convince Tom of what I can't convince myself of. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the detective master himself, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hi, Tom. It was a net to remember that we must forget. <laughs> see, it's funny already. Yeah. You can see uh, playwright Steve Martin's wordplay at the fringes of the screenplay. Yeah. Every now and again. Every now and again. About every 10 to 15 minutes of yeah. a 90 minute movie. That's why it's good. Well, not good, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're talking uh, The Pink Panther 2, yet another movie from 2009, everybody. Uh, this, doesn't, this doesn't look good for me. This movie has 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. <laughs> that, we're usually in the reverse position. Yeah. I'm usually right. back in a 12%er. <laughs> it's not often that you're back in a 12%er over me. I know. <laughs> I don't know. Well... Uh, our to be old fair, I think, is... I think it's better than that. Okay. Where'd you put it? Like 30? 30%? Like, you think 30%? No, hey, hey. Okay, okay. Don't get carried away. <laughs> I, was, I, was throwing you, I was throwing you a bone. I retract that bone. 15%. Yeah, yeah. We're in a 15, 15 to 20 zone. <laughs> At best. Well, our, old, our old friend... <laughs> Howard Zwart is back. Mm. Uh, we did him for the Patreon. Give us money, and you can hear those episodes. Well, you Otherwise, can hear that I can't one. Help for, you. You can hear that one for free. That's true. We posted we that the Karate Kid 2010 for free, so you've already heard what we think about uh, Harold Zwart, which uh, we we planned that all along. We knew this was going to happen, and uh, that's why we released that episode. Yeah. <laughs> that story checks out. So that you had some context when we were talking about Harold's what? Well, he did direct that 2010 Karate Kid. Uh, also, One Night at McCool's. I don't know if you mm -hmm. remember that Michael Douglas vehicle. Uh, I do not. Agent, Agent Cody Banks, The Mortal Instruments, City of Bones. Yeah. I also wrote down The Twelfth Man. I don't know what that is. No, no idea. It's, well, is it, it is a is it a later sequel to the third man? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> a late series entry in the in the man franchise. I really like that eleventh man. <laughs> yeah, it we really yeah. Well, you know, it went off the boil in the ninth man, and the then third you know, man, the fourth man. The they got the man. original director back for the tenth. Yeah, and uh, you know, um, they they did it. The eleventh was a direct sequel, and then they did. <laughs> Like for the eleventh man, they they did an Orson Welles sort of 
AI kind of thing going on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the sixth man was in space. I think that was a you know a, a, a an egregious error. Point. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's the egregious error of this movie, among many, despite the fact that it's at the top of my list, a budget of seventy million dollars. Mm. That's and a yet, lot of money. Graphically, it looks like Paw Patrol. Yeah. It really does. So I do not know where that money went, unless that's how much it takes to make to make an episode I tell you of Paw Patrol. Where I, I tell you where I think it went. Steve Martin, Jean Renault, Emily Mortimer, Andy mm. Garcia, Alfred Molina, John Cleese, Lily Tomlin, and Jeremy Irons. Fair point. Yeah, they they're uh, it's a prestige cast for sure, and they're going to have to Definitely. pay big, big Wonga to get those people. Well, $70 million to make this thing, opening weekend of 11.5 in the USA, half the money, 35.9 million, and in the world, 76 million. Hmm. And of course, that made them stop making these movies. And which is why, why we're, we're doing it. Because it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a single sequel. <laughs> I, I would assume the world outside America would be terribly offended by this film you think i mean it caricatures pretty much every everyone every nation on earth except the you know your standard american Mm -hmm. well there are no standard americans in it i suppose (laughs) by by omission they get off scot-free i don't know i i I think maybe the black berets are standard american i i have a lot of questions about what's going on there yeah, it's like this mini this this sort of mini Bond parody in the middle of a Pink Panther movie. In terms of accents, I have plenty of questions. Like, yeah, John Cleese is in charge of this French police force. He's clearly British, though. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We've got well, it, there's an early scene in the film with John Cleese and Jeffrey Palmer, two quintessentially British actors, both playing French characters without accents. <laughs> and they're they're the first French people we see in the movie that we meet. Yeah, <laughs> so they really set the tone. <laughs> I got to tell you though, like part part of that for me was the ineptitude of this movie mm. was part of its charm for me. It's what no, it's not, kind of it's not a I'm charming. It's not a charming ineptitude. It it is, I think it's a little charming how stupid it is. <laughs> it, it's it's a failure to live up to the material kind of ineptitude. <laughs> I can't disagree. <laughs> There's nothing charming about that. You go out and you have a terrible meal. You're not like, well, that was charming. Well, that was charmingly unpleasant. I now have diarrhea, which is delightful. <laughs> Don't make me hit my door, all right? Okay, apparently that's my job. Apparently, it's if, too if, funny. Uh, if, Don't be uh, too funny. That's right. You don't hear any of that because because of Mike's uh, mix master Mike's sound editing skills. But he likens now me that to one, a... that one's going to come through, or I have to, or there's going to be a space. <laughs> Mike likens me to to a chimp rattling about in a cage. Well, you know, if the shoe fits. 
As I edit, I often ask myself, what the fuck is he doing in there? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's uh it's 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 animation. I can't help it. I'm a performer. <laughs> well, we uh this is a Columbia Pictures film. Yeah, you got I don't have much to say beyond that. Uh we start with fake action movie satellites is what my well, note says what i have to say about the production logo side of things is that that satellite establishing shot was what i thought was another production logo until i realized the movie had started <laughs> <laughs> i thought there was going to be like whatever independent company uh put this together although apparently it is a, a massive studio picture with a with an immense budget, but it with doesn't come across that way. And cast, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't have well, epilepsy. I don't have epilepsy, but I fear that these flash cuts of various global locations may well uh, have left me with it. Induce it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't argue. Yeah. I also wrote. You know, it's funny because you're going along for a little bit at the beginning of this movie, and then you realize all of a sudden that it's a cold open. <laughs> but it's sort of like the coldest of cold opens because yeah. there's just people talking in offices and shit like that, you know? We get some uh, stereotypical Asian characters, which uh, mm-hmm. I saw. I watched this directly after Crank High Voltage, so apparently that gets a pass in 2009. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. We didn't care at all about offending uh, our Asian friends. Nope. Not a bit. I mean... Well, and that's that's remarkable given what. What do they steal there in Japan? A sword? (laughs) Right? A a, a sword. Just to make it. Just just to to make make it it extra stereotypical. Extra stereotypical? Yeah. But given what Harold's what does the following year in his, you know, Mm -hmm. China pandering movie. (laughs) Is it. Did they just not get the memo that the the Asian (laughs) film market is, is. basically <laughs> your target now yeah i mean at this point they were re-editing movies to make them palatable in in uh yeah right chi- china i mean it's know. a thing iron man 3 i believe has uh, like whole scenes made just for the chinese market featuring mm-hmm. a character called dr Wu who barely appears in the movie doesn't uh didn't just like just last year didn't john cena have to apologize to the whole country of China? Uh, well, d- didn't he say something about uh, Taiwan, which didn't... Yeah, which, uh, didn't go re- over well. <laughs> he he recognized Taiwanese independence, I think. Uh, yeah. Unless he did exactly the opposite, in which case I retract my statement. <laughs> I just want to leave both <laughs> possibilities on the table before I go out and research it. <laughs> I think he recognized Taiwanese independence and then said oh my goodness should i not have done that yeah absolutely he kind of yeah. said fuck them yeah <laughs> it's i mean to, to, so it's to something be... we're still dealing with absolutely yeah 100 percent um yeah. but it's just interesting that represent well we i've got a lot to say they're i think they think they're getting better but we haven't got beyond cultural appropriation yet Right, yeah. Because I guess the history of this series and representation of Asian characters is a little dicey. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie's trying to process and move beyond that, but I don't know how willing they are to 
completely put that behind them. Mm-hmm. And that goes for the whole idea of politically incorrect comedy, I think. Right, yeah. We're in a weird area, kind of limbo between we want to address that these kind of jokes are not okay, but we also want to tell these jokes quite a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as far as I understand, that is John Cleese's entire stage act now. So, he's he's in the right movie. (laughs) There you go. I imagine we're going to disagree quite a bit, but John Cleese has to have a meeting, Mm -hmm. and he's going to find out. So, we have this front scene. We have the... The fake action movie satellites yeah. uh, interspersed with apparently the tornado, <laughs> mm. uh, which is the new thief. I can't remember the 2006 Pink Panther, so I don't like, know if it was we'll actually get that one day. <laughs> still the Pink Panther uh, stealing things or if it was the t- tornado then. He's but, a surrogate uh, now, Pink Panther. Yeah, surrogate Pink Panther. The tornado is stealing Well, the Pink Panther is the diamond, and... not the thief. I thought the thief called himself the Pink Panther too, no? Not in the original series, maybe in the reboot. Okay. Anyway, stealing a bunch of shit, the cla- the shroud of Turin, what else? The the sword. I mm. can't remember what else. I I anyway. can't yeah, I mean, I'm just I was struck by this opening scene with Jeffrey Palmer and John Cleese for many reasons. Obviously the British for French uh mm-hmm. aspect yeah. of it. The fact that and then it's, well, the fact that they're both actors who were in, you know, Pierce Brosnan and Bond movies as well. Yes. That obviously resonated with me. And then when Steve Martin arrives, you get John Cleese and Steve Martin. And the first thought you have is, imagine what this could have been if you got these actors two decades before this. Yeah. You've right. got like Fish Called Wanda, John Cleese, and Carl Reiner collaboration, Steve Martin. Steve Martin, My yeah. God, what a... You know, what a dynamic that is. But there are, we've just literally found them at the low point of both their careers as comic guess, actors. but, like, you know, when Cleese is banging his head into the wall, he's committing in a way that makes me laugh. Okay. Cut for time SNL skit for you, Till, still? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm underwhelmed by all the slapstick in this movie, especially because of the people who are doing it and how much better you know they can do it. Mm-hmm. It rings uh, very, very hollow, and the, you know it's the John Cleese is doing his self-flagellation shtick, which is his, you know, yeah, we're we're kind of familiar with from his uh, from his movie and TV work, you know, Faulty Towers and Fish Called Wanda. Uh, Steve Martin's doing his dance-like slapstick, so it's the shtick of the two actors, but it's sort of the least interesting variation that we've seen of both of their. Um, you know, conventions as comedic. I think there's something for me and what I understand what you're saying. And I won't for a second, even say that you're wrong. (laughs) It's, uh, it's not their best comedy, but it's, it's still two of the greats doing comedy. And I find it fairly easy to watch still, you know? Yeah. And I won't just, I I won't disagree with that, but the, the, that sort of nagging feeling of, how much better it could have been never yeah. leave, never leaves me. Really. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still did write down because what what you know after after Cleese understands that he's got to kind of promote Clouseau to this this case of all the things gone missing. Mm. We we catch up with Clouseau who is. <laughs> 
clearly by Dreyfus, uh, you know, been forced to give just parking tickets around <laughs> around the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, there's a car that's nine what nine centimeters too far from the curb, yeah. and he's going to give a guy a ticket, and mm-hmm. the guy tries to take off and. I mean, it's almost funny up until the last part where the car stops and flings Clouseau yeah. uh, all the way across the city. Mm-hmm. And I did write down that it's lowest common denominator comedy. I have to admit that. Which slapstick shouldn't be, and that's the that's the mistake. Mm-hmm. That that people who do slapstick comedy, it's it's it should never be the. It should never be the button. It should always be the 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 meat of the yeah, scene. Yeah, right. You got to take it incredibly seriously to make mm-hmm. it work. And this movie, it's it's an afterthought most of the time. That is the problem. It's to me. I I always keep wondering: is this a actor's problem or is this a Zwart problem? And it seems more like a Zwart problem because mm. Zwart is always kind of filming it as though it is the button. Yeah. Like, everything that happens is the button of a joke as opposed to yeah. what you said, talk, taking it very seriously. I I mean, e- even at their lowest, I think you could still you could still get more out of these actors in mm-hmm. terms of in terms of slapstick. Yeah. Uh, then then you then Harold Swartz seems to have found. But then our old friend, the animated opening credits, show up. This yeah, is the best scene in the whole movie. And that's right the, now. And that's when you say to yourself, "Oh yeah, all of this was a fucking cold open." Okay. Well, I got. I mean, <laughs> the animated titles and theme. Obviously, they kind of lock into the audiovisual tradition of the series. These extended animated uh, opening title sequence. They're trying to retrofit mm-hmm. Steve Martin as Clouseau, which looks wrong. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm really glad they didn't mess with the essential design of it because I grew up on the Pink Panther cartoons. I mean, much more so Mm -hmm. than the movies. I knew the movies from the cartoon. Hmm. So, you know, as a as a as a child, you know, oh, there's a Pink Panther movie. I assumed it was going to be an entirely animated animated movie. film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it's it's a lot of, you know, uh, actors I've never heard of standing around in drawing rooms uh making with making witty banter and I'm like, "What the sure. fuck is this?" <laughs> so I'm just really glad they didn't mess with the design element of it cuz I couldn't I couldn't take them redesigning the Pink Panther on top of everything else that happened oh, in yeah. this movie. I mean, got at least to, the Pink Panther to, looks like the Pink Panther. They've got to retrofit Steve Martin in there. I understand that. There's nothing. There's no. They can't do anything about that. But sure. I'm I'm glad that that didn't come with a you know a sort of poochy style reimagining of the of the Pink Panther. <laughs> Um, and and my next note is: Could this just be the movie? I'm getting more laughs from this than the live action version is ever going to be capable of, and I'm getting a nostalgia trip out of it too. So yeah, that's true. Does this have to end? <laughs> Afraid so. Afraid yeah. so. I was also interested to see that, uh, and this is a um, premature credit check. Hmm. Based on the Pink Panther films of Blake Edwards. 
Yeah, I saw that. Right. So not just the intellectual property, but also the property owner. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting distinction. I don't think we've seen that before, have we? Or No, I don't recall ever having seen it put like that as if crediting the director with inventing the brand mm-hmm. that way. I mean, Psycho 2 maybe had something about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Did it? That would seem appropriate, but... Uh, I mean, they're also just leeching off the prestige of... They are, yeah, that's of true. both names, you know, because mm-hmm. you, with Blake Edwards, you can expand out to other films that he's done. Mm. Like The Party, where Steve, uh, <laughs> yeah. Steve, Steve no, Peter Sellers is in Brownface for the entire right. movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Clouseau is going to report to Cleese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, this... It did make me laugh. He talks about the important ticket parking tickets case he's been on. He says, I have, I think it seems like he's been on this case for months. He announces he's given four tickets. Mm. I like that one of them has been given out to John Cleese. As he knows, he says, as you know, for the bent plate. Mm. I like just the idea of a small bend in a plate. And he gives his boss a ticket. The writing is not bad at all. The writing is not the problem in the movie. There's some good verbal comedy in here. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Steve Martin... I mean, you, you spoke to this in our ranking episode about the miscasting of Steve Martin. I don't know whether I wholly yeah. agree with that. but You should. <laughs> Peter Sellers' fake French accent was a work of art refined over several films. Like It, did, yeah. it wasn't just one kind of incarnation it, it wasn't one incarnation like he like yeah. as the movies went on and they got more cartoonish he raised his accent game so it was more caricatured mm-hmm. um but steve martin just sounds like a he's doing a fake jamaican accent throughout the movie <laughs> it does it, it's it sounds like a person who says at a party i can do this accent and somebody goes let me hear it yeah. And then they give a shitty accent and they go, no, that's not it. You shouldn't yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're, it... you're offending people you haven't even considered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Would take offense at this. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting much in the way of chemistry between uh, Cleese and Martin either. I, I don't know that I'm... Like, yeah, I think you're right. I'm not getting exactly chemistry. I also kind of wonder if that's Zwart's problem, because you hardly mm. ever see them in a shot together. It's always yeah. single yeah. shot, Good single point. shot, single shot, single shot. Mm-hmm. So that might have something to do with it as well, because you don't get to really see them play together. Right, right. Uh, I don't know, so... I agree. Yeah, I think that is that's yeah, a there, big part of the problem. There might have been more there, or there might have been more that could have been there. That's not being shown, but it's hard to say for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's very true. The, the it's the assembly is is a big part of the problem here. Yeah. Uh, so we got this SWAT team. You're right. So he he's got what does he got a. Pen from Radio Shack or something that finds bugs and 
Mm-hmm. Basically, well, he just he starts throwing shit at cameras and. <laughs> I did. It made me laugh when when the scene opens and that John Cleese is just sort of standing in front of us and behind him they're setting up that photo, not photo, uh, like you know, portrait, oil painting mm-hmm. of him looking quite debonair and boss like behind him. Doesn't himself. he play a, a living painting in Harry Potter? He plays a ghost in Harry Potter. Is it a ghost in a painting? No. Okay. There are ghosts in paintings. Or just oh, paintings Jesus. that I'm already move. bored. I'm already I don't, <laughs> just already out. I've tapped out. I knew I knew I, I knew I could get you to stop caring in record time. <laughs> I was just like uh, you know I just that was I just Your face brain your just face fused. was a wash in disinterest so quickly. Oh my god. Anyway, so yeah, he starts tearing shit out of the walls and that brings in the the Black Berets. But there's this one point where the Black Berets are about to shoot everybody and, unless they get the code word, which is yeah. hamburger. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the only person that knows is Steve Martin. And of course, he's saying hamburger. Mm. Uh, and I noticed that all the Black Berets said, all right, then, thank you very much. And then they leave. But they they all sounded so clearly American to me. Mm. Didn't sound French, didn't sound British. It sounded like a bunch of American guys. And, you know, I and this is where you wonder what the difference is, because if you go back to the this original series and any of those kind of cosmopolitan 60s caper movies... Mm-hmm. There was a lot of mid-Atlanticism. There was a lot of, you know, uh, sure. char- not playing character. You're playing characters who come from particular countries, but not doing them with the accents. Or so I'm trying. Like, what? Why is it? Why is it more bothersome here? But it really is. Mm. You know, you didn't even notice that one though. Apparently, which one? The Black Berets. Well, yeah. I mean. I, Not well, that they're in the movie long, but no. But they're also go- they're going, you know, they're going for a Bond vibe. I think at this point, uh, right down to the conspicuous. Of course, you think they're going for a Bond vibe, right down to the conspicuous, you know, product placement. Uh, yeah, it's like Sony products, <laughs> Radio Shack, eBay. We need a BMW I, and a. They they the one thing that they Omega do Omega Watch or whatever the hell he wears. And most of it's sub Johnny English, but but what the good the bomb pastiche <laughs> they do that's very good, and I suspect this is uh, I'd, I'd stake money on it coming from Steve Martin's pen, is the mm-hmm. reverse pen gadget. Yeah, right. You know the the, the tape the, recorder, the tape recorder that also works as a pen. That seems like a yeah. Steve Martin comic idea. Right. And it's a nice inversion on the whole sort of, you know, uh, pen that does other things from the bond. And film. that's kind of the button for the scene, right? Yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, you know, and they have the, they have a nice little prop to back it up. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good moment in the movie. It's doing right, some. Then. It Well, it's like. You I'll know, take it. It's doing something with the, the, uh, the conventions. The genre or conventions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, so the uh, the Pink Panther Diamond. It's interesting comparing this to the original series. Is as far as I because the Pink Panther Diamond doesn't play a part in Shut in the Dark, and then mm-hmm. when they 
when they re essentially reboot the series in the 70s, it's the Pink Panther again. And then all subsequent movies are the something Pink Panther. Yeah, right. Um, and I don't know if all of them have to do with the diamond, but some of them, a few of them do. So it's I, interesting. I can't that, remember. <coughs> they, they are ha- all still on Max, though. So maybe this is our really? next series. Yeah. Oh well, if that's the case, then then yeah. uh, then I'm I'm game. Excellent. Now, <laughs> next thing I have because we have Emily Mortimer and <laughs> Clouseau in, in the office, and they mm-hmm. have a flashback to their date, right? <laughs> now, like this is my note here: restaurant scene. Flashback that I bet could have been present day. <laughs> I don't think in the, anything in the movie contradicts that. But again, it's like I guess it's the opposite problem of of just using slapstick comedy as a as a needless button. This is just like we'll throw as much slapstick at the wall as we can and see mm-hmm. what sticks, because this is just a collection of slapstick moments organized into a scene yeah i mean essentially he wants to get wine for dinner he wants to choose his own bottle Hmm. his ass hits the wine rack and so it's gonna fall over all the bottles start falling out he starts throwing them to other guests she's oblivious he's fairly oblivious to everything he's doing you know he find you know the last bottle to fall is the last (laughs) bottle he wants I would love it if you did the audio description for this movie. That would be amazing. <laughs> to hear your voice coming up, like for, you know, for um, hearing, for um, sight impaired people. And it's just, it's just you going, you know, he throws it up in the air and he gets disillusioned and then it comes back. You know, you know how it goes. I think that would be great. That would improve the movie immeasurably for me. It did. I didn't think it was completely unfunny, though. Interesting. You know, I it's like I don't know. There's something. There's something in this movie that happens a lot with the physical comedy. I think you're right about the physical comedy mostly mm. not working, but it's yeah. just on the edge of of working. There's something. There's something there that could be funny. Mm. That isn't. It, it usually it makes me chuckle, but it's not as funny as it could be. I think slapstick for me needs to be, it needs to be, it's the one of the hardest things to do in comedy because it needs to be balls to the wall funny and also have an idea and an intellect behind it. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, you go to the films of Laurel and Hardy and that's why that works is because you're never deprived intellectually or viscerally. Yeah. Let me ask you this. With this movies. scene be funnier if Zwart because Zwart doesn't give a lot of play to the other patrons yeah if it was all the other pa- if all the patrons had to come together as a team mm. and that was shown more yeah I mean to you know to to, to fix what Clouseau is doing a, a big problem of this movie that well, would be better isn't it or it would be, it be better and I think there are parts of this movie where the the inability of Zwart to see who the straight man is, yeah, right, is a is a big problem. It's like he keeps switching straight men, mm-hmm. and then the straight men become the fools and switch back and forth. And again, if you're Laurel and Hardy, you can pull this shit. 
right. of your Harold's words. <laughs> <laughs> Has to feel seamless when you do that. There's one thing that did, I think, work really well. No, we've already covered that. The reverse pen gadget. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm well, just giving I, you shit. Do we need to talk about them driving to the airport? There's lots of bad driver jokes. There's lots of Steve Martin as a bad driver not looking at the road. Well, we've got to talk about... This is where we meet... I assume he's in the original Jean Renault. I don't even remember. All I know is that Cleese... Cleese wasn't... Because it was... No. It was... No, yeah, he wasn't He's Dreyfus. not in the original? No, it was Kevin Why? Klein that well, it was Dreyfus in the original. I know oh. that for sure. Yeah. Well, that is quite a recast. Yeah. That Basically, the, the two people who couldn't be more different from A Fish Called Wanda, and you've replaced one with the other. <laughs> I know, right? What's going on? <laughs> Did they just say, oh, just get anyone from Fish Called Wanda? <laughs> Michael Palin's not answering his phone. Fo- oh, Michael Palin yeah. was good. Michael Palin's not answering his phone. Fine, yeah, John right. Cleese then. Whoever picks up first, even if it's Jamie Lee Curtis, will gender switch it. <laughs> That's good. Well, so I, I, I just, I just wanted to address Jean Renault because when you see him and you remember what a real Frenchman looks like. Yeah, it, it right. really puts those British it, or French actors yeah. into perspective. Into perspective, it does very much so. You're like, they oh yeah, like, if French, <laughs> it makes them look out of place, doesn't it? They're so extra white. And they look like a different species compared to him. You know? Yes, <laughs> not just a different right. race. <laughs> But it also reminds me, you know, like like setting this in the modern day, I guess they have to do that. But uh, you ripping the movie from its kind of ni- mid-century 1960s glamour. And when you see them in the smart car and how grubby Charles de Gaulle Airport looks, it's like, mm-hmm. well, no wonder you're not able to recapture the 60s glamour because it's not the 60s anymore. Yeah, right. It's like France yeah. looks like like France looks grubby now. <laughs> like that grubbiness is part of you know part of what we both celebrate and loathe about about france right. but it's not you know it's it's not the paris of of the pink panther or it's not it's not the france of the uh you know of the 60s caper movie no yeah anymore and i think i don't think that's really been accounted for but there's a button on the airport scene that really makes me laugh because he, you know, Cleese is going to put him on the case of of the dream team, as it's being called, to to solve the crimes of the tornado. And he just wants to protect the Pink Panther diamond. Mm. And, well, first he tells Jean Renault he's very sorry he can't satisfy his wife. Mm-hmm. And then he says, OK, I'm leaving France. And he takes one like step this. over over the line and the yeah. next the, right behind him a news report is announcing the Pink Panther is stolen <laughs> that's a good bit that's funny it's a good bait and switch with the border crossing fake out it makes you think it's going to be a globe trotting sequel and then it inverts it yeah except it eventually becomes a globe trotting sequel yeah, so it would it have been a stronger yeah. it would have been a stronger bit if they never left France after this yeah you're probably but it's right a, in the moment it's a really good bit and I love that in in between, like, well, just before that, when they're at passport control, they do a stamp gag, which is the film mm-hmm. 
film pulling from the very best of physical comedy, the librarian scene from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's where you want to go for your slapstick. A movie that fails at slapstick. Except when Sean Con except when Sean Connery is involved. <laughs> yeah. All uh, right, why don't we as, take a break? Yeah, let's do it, and we'll introduce the Dream Team. Yeah, because we're about to meet the Dream Team, so... The Dream Team will introduce the Dream Team. The Dream Team, exactly. Do two people count as a team? I guess they're when always going to be When it's you and me. A... <laughs> when it's you and me. And whatever it is I'm doing in this closet that annoys you when you're editing. <laughs> Whoever else is in here. <laughs> that I'm trying to keep a lid on. I think I'm having a knife fight with a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. I don't. I don't want to derail us, but I got to tell you this. Uh, this, 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 this oh, just because you mentioned raccoons, okay. Um, uh, shortly ar- around kind of Christmas, New Year time, yeah. um, I was uh, I was uh, picking picking up my son outside my apartment building, and I went out onto the street and I saw a raccoon, uh, which I haven't kind of seen in the flesh before. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, it sort of, it was like, looked like it was kind of walking over to me. So obviously, I ushered it forward. It's like, hey, come over here, you know, this wild rabid animal. Uh, but it wasn't coming for me. It went up into the tree outside my um, apartment and started fighting with another raccoon in the tree. Oh, so there was two raccoons going at it, and the tree was shaking like it was a Looney Tunes cartoon. These two raccoons <laughs> fighting each other. And then, you know, my son got dropped off and the door opened to say to everyone in the car, don't come out just now. There are two raccoons fighting in that tree. And then they looked over and the tree is swinging violently like the, the singing bush from the Three Amigos. So anyway, that's great. That's you my two raccoon trash, story. You two trash pandas quit fucking around. They, they, they really, I mean, they're massive and they were really going at it. That's fantastic. It is. All right. So more more raccoon anecdotes when we come back. <laughs> right after this. <laughs> Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. 
Tom and I are here. What were we going to do when we came back? <laughs> Tell more raccoon anecdotes? Yeah, raccoons. Oh, well, we're introducing the dream team. The dream team? Lily Tomlin? We got people to meet. Yeah. Don't we have a deduction off between Clouseau and yes. Alfred Molina? Mm-hmm. And I'd say that's genuinely funny. Yeah. Well performed. And I like the the twist on the idea of the Sherlock Holmes back and forth. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. That's never been done as a face off before, as far as I know. I don't I couldn't think of one either, yeah. You don't see yeah. you know, in the uh in the new incarnation of Sherlock Holmes, you don't ever see Jude Law get into a. I think it was this. <laughs> they they pl- I mean they played around with it. There's a there's a TV movie from the the nineties uh, starring the guy who played Moriarty and young Sherlock Holmes mm. playing Sherlock Holmes, where he's he was frozen for a hundred years and is reanimated in present day San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds great so far, I know, but <laughs> <laughs> but they they have they have a great scene of him coming into the uh, police officer's uh, going to police officer's desk and going through all the items on the desk <laughs> and saying what that tells the him about this guy, mm-hmm. and he gets it all wrong because he's got no cultural knowledge, so he misses everything. Right, right. So they, I have seen plays on this before, but I, I thought this one was a was a nice variation. All right. Well, me too. Um, Put that a tick and this in the column, spe- baby. And speaking of you know the the growing global film market, this is a time when Hollywood movies really trying to break Bollywood actors into the mainstream to essentially save the American film industry from collapsing under the weight Maybe. of yeah. you know both China and, and India and it's it's absolutely massive uh, phenomenon of um, filmmaking. For sure. Although I will say this, even though this movie's at the top of my list, I think one of the biggest failings of this movie is that I, I saw that character like straight from the beginning yeah. I knew that character was the bad guy. So... The bad guy. And it's not used. It's not used. What he gives the game away so so easily. And every every time she every time she's on screen, there's a there's a clue. Yeah. And yeah, that's got to for that to be effective, it's got to creep up on mm-hmm. you. You can't just put Jeremy Irons in your movie for twenty minutes to distract everyone. Right. <laughs> Something else I noted here: we see Christiane Amapour from CNN. Mm-hmm. Playing herself, how right? Much, right, but how how much time do modern day news anchors Have. spend doing <laughs> fake news reports in films? <laughs> it's just like, I, I I don't understand it on two levels. I don't understand. What were we watching? What, like we were watching something that had a news reporter, and you said they seem vaguely like a. Yeah. Person, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, that's a real news reporter from like LA. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. And yeah. it always is. Yeah. It always is. That's <laughs> apparently all they do when they're not reporting the news. <laughs> but it fails on two levels for me because I, I feel like that job is a, ju- that should be your only job. You should be, to, if you're going to be doing it properly, <laughs> that should be your only job. And secondly, what does it do to your credibility if you're just happy to lie into a camera? <laughs> 
That doesn't do your journalistic integrity any good. Oh, good stuff. Uh, and this is, you know, Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin. Yeah, she's teaching the etiquette. What's he say? Something about hot Italian blood? And they, uh, so, they've worked together before I Know All oh, of Me. They were God, um, I love All of Me. It's a great movie. Well, that, and that's the other thing. It's sort of like, like trying to recapture that mm-hmm. decades later is not doing it the same for me. I don't. They may have worked together in, in other movies. I don't know of them, but that's the one I think that's of. A, yeah, that's the first thing I would go to. But it's an all-time star pairing yes. that you feel is a little bit burnt on this movie. It's like the kind of Pacino... So here's uh, the know, thing, because I... Getting, get, getting Robert De Niro and, and Al Pacino together in movies mm-hmm. after Al Pacino has forgotten to act is just pointless. <laughs> For, if he's forgotten how to act, then, uh, you know, De Niro still knows how to act, but he don't know how to chew scripts anymore either <laughs> so the combination of the two is lethal these days all right let's let's not get onto the lists of other people <laughs> that are going on to you that are going i on will your i will die enemies on, list okay i will die on the hill of al pacino has forgotten how to act uh what about uh where he plays kevorkian <laughs> not so much actually he was Actually, I like what he did with Phil Spector, but I suspect that was where, you know, bad acting and and the person he was playing kind of Melded, meshed together. Me- yeah. the, the, the Venn diagram was a lot of yeah. overlap. After I saw The Irishman, I was like, he should give back his Oscar. <laughs> Which he got for Scent of a Woman in the first place. So he should have given it back as soon as they gave it to him. <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're here to we're talk about. We're not here about. to talk about that, goddammit. To talk about cut for time SNL sketches about political correctness training. Now, here's what I want to say about this because you said that yeah. in the opening, in our ranking episode, I said that these scenes made me laugh, but I'm going to cop mm. to this. The first scene is not a great scene. I think they get mm. funnier as they go along. And I think your prejudice stayed with you after the first scene. Right. So this this concept develops over the film comically, does it? <laughs> I don't know that it develops. I, I think they just I do it did, better. I didn't notice that. It must have been my prejudice. <laughs> but this is where the like the the movies trying to adjust changes in cultural attitudes since the original Pink Panther movies were made. Right, because he's calling Cato his little yellow friend in the original movie and. Steve Martin has a line... And much worse. <laughs> Steve Martin has a line about sushi, right? Yeah. In this movie. Well, it, it's... You're in that position but where... But what I do like is I like that yeah. they're trying to up... Like, they're... It's not great that they're keeping those same jokes, but it is great that they're pulling Clouseau in and saying, hey, you can't fucking do that shit anymore. Like, I like that update. Except, except it comes from a place where I think... It's just their beard for being able to tell those jokes. To do jokes. those jokes. Like, All, I right. All right. I don't think it, it comes from a place of we're addressing that attitudes have changed towards these topics in comedy. I felt a little and differently jo- about it. I felt like they were trying to address it. So, you know, I did, I did feel that. But okay. if it's not there for you, it's not there for you. Well, and, you know, and a lot of it is about execution. I mean, the SNL sketch comparison is not just... 
you know, is also about style because mm. it, it has that broadness of not having been thought through. Well, all of and, this movie has and that, ne- though. And never, and never having rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. So, but all of this movie has like that feel of of the broadness and the lack of rehearsal. Right, but but I think part of that has to do yeah. with who's cast in the movie. I think they all thought that hey, we could just get in there and do this and be great. I also kind, but of, I kind of resent the use of Clouseau as a politically incorrect dinosaur. I think that's a misuse of the character. Mm. I think if that's all that's left for you to do with him, you might as well not do give anything. Up. If that's the best you can think to give him mm. at this point. Because, Why though? Why? Because it's not an interesting color on the character. Mm-hmm. And if that's if if you feel you need to do that, it's probably time to stop using him in films. Mm-hmm. Unless you can sort of, and then you know, it's again that's the the big tension with the Bond films, isn't it? Is how do you play off the fact that this character uh, comes from a an era where you know attitudes towards right uh, with political attitudes that towards sex towards women towards, yeah yeah that doesn't share and you know the best bomb movies kind of find a nice middle ground but most of them like Goldeneye I would agree Goldeneye I even the man with the golden gun which is not a well liked Bond film but uh, they address feminism in that movie mm-hmm. um you know, I just feel like, and I know it's not a huge part of the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's not. This is this is really their only spin on the character that is in any way original. Yeah. So, it fails for me to to justify its own existence. Now it's been a while since we watched this movie, so I'm looking at notes and I don't know what they mean. Hmm. Basically, the next note that I understand is they are looking for the tornado's fence, who they think is Jeremy Irons. Okay. I, I noted that there's an imbass of the, uh, when we see uh, Clouseau's awards, his trophy I, I wrote a note about uh, show you a real trophy, and it's karate with kids. Mm-hmm. Is that what, is it like Kramer? Be- well, before What's that, we could get a, we get like a, <laughs> it's, well, there's a lot going on. The first one is the, we see trophies that he got. So basically, awards he got from his actions in the first film. So this is like in lieu of photographs. <laughs> this is the imbass. Okay, great. Right. Uh, this is the kind of record of what happened in the first movie being recapped for us. See, now I like it even and then, more. And then we go, and then we shift to it's like karate without Kato, basically. Yes, that's what it was. And then yeah. immediately, your mind. And then immediately your mind goes to the previous scene with the the yellow line, mm-hmm. which was comicalized in the last scene. And then this scene is like, oh, look, we're still doing the bit, but we're doing it without victimizing an Asian actor. Right, because he's fighting kids. Right, but it's still cultural appropriation, so we've not really kind of gone anywhere. We've split Kato into two non-Asian children. Yeah, I mean, don't you think karate is ubiquitous enough that 
we don't have to work like we're not but why even go why if, if if you're trying to get away from it why even go there why does there need to be karate at all in this movie i mean Is yeah, you're, yeah you might like, be right i think it's more has to do more with what remakes feel like they have to do i agree a, you know yeah. a, 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 for fans of the originals you know yeah fan service, fan service yeah it's yeah. like an early version of fan service yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that but if, if if there's a political problem attached to the fan service, get rid of the fan service. Uh, let's see, let's see the panther again. Let's have that panther pop up in the middle of the movie. Imagine how good that would be. Uh, that, so there's like like a little intermission that's just the pink panther it's cartoon. Just the cartoon. A, why the fuck didn't they do that? Why did no one say that? Oh, that would have been amazing. Would have beaten oh, Shea Part mercy. 2 if that was the case. What was I watching? The I won't remember. I was watching something the other night where it's literally... <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about it then. A little, uh, like, it was only like a two-hour movie, and at some point, you know, an hour and five minutes in, they, and it's like, you know, something I'm watching on one of the channels, Prime or something, is like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
and the group is meeting him while Clouseau sneaks around in the least effective physical comedy of the movie. Uh, yeah, agreed. That's uh, it, it, it underlines the CCTV slapstick are you referring to, where you can mm-hmm. see him like falling down in various ways on CCTV. And it just underlines slapstick is just filler in the film. Like in in a good comedy film, it should be everything. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, in the original movies. I don't remember which one it was, but when he falls through the floor and there's all that paint and Mm -hmm. you know, it's all as one of it's all actually happening. You know, there's an incredible. Well, I'll save it, especially if we're going to cover it. But uh, one of my favorite moments of slapstick from any movie is in one of the Pink Panther sequels. But, I mean, in terms of casting, they're trying to bring the David Niven to this. Yeah. Right? That they, they, want, they want prestige British actors sure. in the same way that the original kind of flaunt, original series kind of flaunted them. So they're roping in some of the best people in the business for, for essentially crap. But I also, uh, you know, I have to admit that it's, you know, Jeremy Irons, he's not in this movie a lot. <laughs> and it's it does feel like, a, you know, by the time you're done with the movie some of the and these are actors i really love but that one in particular yeah. you're like man was he cashing a check or what well but he's a red herring so i suppose yeah he's but like i said what he, playing playing to what he's been given yeah. which is be a distraction for 20 minutes so we don't know it's the bollywood but actor. like i said you never suspect him because you know it's the other no. person already so it doesn't you know yeah is it, there's a there's a couple of uh, well actually throughout the movie that there's obviously references to the original Pink Panther series, being that it is called the Pink Panther, but <laughs> so, and essentially a remake. Uh, there's also Chaplin references. So, and you get ref in this scene we get the globe running scene where he's yeah right, and that's. And so there's a there's in shot in the dark there's the famous moment where Peter Sellers gets his it spins the globe trying to look cool yes. and then gets his hand stuck inside right. it and there's also obviously the great dictator yes. bouncing the globe yeah. dance and I think both are being it, there's an interesting interplay going here where Steve Martin is sort of cycling back to Chaplin uh right so like and kind of skipping over P- Peter Sellers and Stan Laurel on the way well the thing that who both both who kind of so the, so Chaplin, Stan Laurel was a Chaplin imitator. That's how he sure. started out his life. And then Peter Sellers imitates Stan Laurel in being there. Mm-hmm. And now Steve Martin's going back to Chaplin, who has informed all this comedy. Right. It's kind of it's interesting. But what's interesting to me too is that the tone of this movie and the tone of the performances. And the tone is also, especially of the directing, are such that I don't know that what everything that you're saying is would be falling on the audience that would see it. I think I think because it's going back to the original Pink Panther movies, which has got to be a segment of their target audience. And I think I think that's I think the Chaplin stuff is there for Steve Martin or his own gratification. Yeah, right. Okay. So. I think uh, the direct references are landing with the audiences, but there's also, you know, just people who know about comedy, some of whom are writing the movie. But not all. But not all. (laughs) But not all, yeah. (laughs) 
So uh, my next note is the we go back to the restaurant, which again mm-hmm. we didn't need a flashback to. We were going to come back here anyway. Sure. He he has um, to become <laughs> a dancer to move the bug. Yeah, As, I mean, there's never a time I don't want to see Steve Martin in a dance battle, but. <laughs> The cultural appropriation in this scene feels like cancelable actions now. <laughs> and he does manage to start another fire as well. Sure. And then but it we're, also, we're... <laughs> uh, you know, I again, like there are things happening, like the dance-off that you're talking about. There are mild laughs, like I'm chuckling throughout, but I... Contain. That's like a warning. <laughs> Contains mild laughs. I know. I just, I don't want to sell it too hard. Like, I realize that this is at the top of my list, but it's not a great movie. Like, I understand that. In defense of the movie, there are mild laughs. There are mild laughs throughout. And that's what got me. But, but, like, that scene in particular for a movie that's, I don't even remember how long, but it's got to be a kind of 90, 100 minute movie, right? It just felt like filler. It just felt like... <laughs> 90, 100-minute movie. That's what it felt like to me, yeah. No, it's a 90-minute yeah. movie, yeah. Straight so up. it just felt like mm-hmm. kind of filler to get to those 90 minutes, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of filler... Yes. I'm going. <laughs> this is the second movie we, we've recorded an episode on in succession that features the Pope. Yes, yes. All of a sudden, the Pope's ring is stolen. The Pope's ring is stolen. We got spinning newspapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, there is and, something and th- funny about of... the line. I don't remember what Steve Martin does, but at some point he says, "Forgive me, Mister Pope." Mm-hmm. That made me laugh. Mister Pope is funny. But <laughs> is there ever a good is there ever a good way to bring a pope into the movie? I'm trying to think of. Well, certainly not in unless the movie's about the popes. Or, yeah. Right, right. Godfather right. 3. Yes, right. You know? It's, it's not, not a good, good track record, to say the least. No, it really isn't. The Pope's Exorcist? I'm, it's kind of... <laughs> that might be the best out of all of them. Is the Pope in the Pope's Exorcist, or is he like Charlie in Charlie's Angels? I don't remember. I've never seen. Does he have like a Bosley who's well, a cause there's a Well, because there is a guy that Russell Crowe keeps talking I to. Him. I saw it after... Uh. After they talked about it, how did this get made? I'm like, I gotta see this fucking movie. So I watched it back. Yeah, that is that is a how dare you movie, yeah. isn't so it? So I watched it back in October, and it was it was every bit as much fun as they, you know, that they had <laughs> riding okay. around on this fucking moped everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and then the best part was that I, I, it ends essentially saying, "Hey, we could have like a hundred and twenty more of these." <laughs> Which is hysterical. Wow. That is, that's definitely addressing a sequel potential. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I feel like that where this movie is kind of stuck in the 60s is all the kind of Python-esque stuff they're doing in these scene where they're just like, you're supposed to find it funny laughing mm-hmm. at sacred institutions. Yeah. And of course, when Python did that in the 60s, when they were mocking the, the sacred institutions of of you know uh, Britain, religion, politics, Go- yeah. government. Yeah. It was it was shocking because no one had done it before. But this is two thousand and nine, so it's it's all we're know. doing now. 
there have been like Robbie Coltrane vehicles about the Pope, you know, <laughs> nuns on the run. I mean, we don't. This kind of comedy, I don't think it has the it has the impact that it that it would have done in the sixties. No, but I don't even know that of, that's what they're think of something going else. for. Oh, oh, when he's coming out and addressing the crowd, yeah. and they're blowing up the they're blowing up the Pope's hat. I think it's more. I think a sense I, of that, like, let's mock this sacred in figure. That coming out on the balcony scene, I literally think I don't know. I don't think Zwart gets that. I think Zwart just wants to show the physical comedy of Steve Martin. That's falling a little flat, mm. honestly. Yeah, maybe, but I I do think there's a, there's an attempt to kind of take down a sacred cow, which is maybe, what comedy does. But, uh, but it's the it's a cow that ain't that sacred anymore, yeah. especially in two. If that's what they're going no, for, like, then hmm. not the best idea. But it's funny you say that because hmm. I mean, so are you saying no movie should do that ever? Is there nothing sacred enough no. to to take? No, down? I just I, I no I'm I just think that. The, that kind of comedy has an impact in a in us in a cultural context because culturally the only thing sacred a... now is like the kardashians <laughs> well no i mean you know i think I, I i some of it cycles back right some of it is like talking about abortion now in a network sitcom uh-huh. would be subversive mm-hmm. but in the 70s it was just you know society history moving yeah. on and now we've gone back to a state where you know no respectable network's going to have abortion feature in the in the show. So some of it is cyclical uh, with with that, and other times you know there's this kind of that you know there's there's new taboos that kind of pop up here right. and here and there, and things that are sacrosanct. I mean, you know, we're talking about one before we got on air. You know, Larry David yeah. throttling Elmo on the on the Today Show. I mean, that's its own kind that's of great. Uh, taboo this kind of puppet who's trying to spread joy and there's this <laughs> this fucking 80 year old man, man shaking it to death that's, that's what comedy should, does and should do I like that alright why don't we take another break sure and then we'll come back and finish up alright very good then that's a promise from us to you <laughs> I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. 
God, I need a beer. And we're back. Tom and I are here, finishing up with The Pink Panther 2, yet another 2009 film. All right, Tom, we're almost done with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, Probably the fewest notes I've ever taken. There, yeah, me too. Is there is there a race yet? Are, are you, are, do you still feel confident in your Halloween 2 assertion? No, but I never, I never truly felt confident in it. <laughs> you think you'll stand pat, though? Uh, well, we'll have to see. We'll we'll find out in our picture sequel episode. All right, fine. So I got to, I've got to take the, the entire series into account if I'm going to adjust. Very good, then. Hmm. Where are we? I know because he attacks the kids again. Like there's a second. Yep. I, that's when I realize. Okay, so the kids are Kato. Like Jean Reno is not Kato. Yeah. The kids are Kato. <laughs> and John Reno is is his counterpart from from the the original. I think. Yeah. Um. And then he has to go see Lily Tomlin again. Right, and she gives him a Rorschach check uh, test. <laughs> yes. Um. Which is yeah. another kind of. You know, recur in the recurring SNL sketch of the political. I don't think it's training. that bad. <laughs> it's I'm I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's lazy. It's one of the few moments where I thought Steve Martin. Uh, that's not true. I mean, Steve Martin's funny. <laughs> I do just think he's miscast. I I think I think you're probably right. I also think this is this is not a point where he is really the comic actor that he had been before or will be again. Hmm. Because because I we think all he just was get just older in... or well, I I think he's put in much better comic performances since this movie. Uh-huh. But I just think I don't I think in this period he's not as interested in being a being a screen comedian. Okay. He's interested in writing plays and playing the banjo. Yeah, he mentioned I don't that. Be- I don't begrudge him at all, you know. Fine. And he's kind of co- he's kind of come back to comedy. Yeah. But he was away from it for a long time, mm-hmm. by by choice, and that's fine. But at that point in your career, the worst thing you can do is play spectacularly so in a Pink Panther reboot when you're not interested in comedy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> uh, now, there's a uh, child dangling moment, and I did wonder. There's a what when. There's a child dangling moment mm. where they where Clouseau's seen like dangling a child over the because that's when they fire him, the... right? That was yeah. my next note. Oh uh, well, what well, where does I didn't look this up? Where does this, uh, where is this um, in time in relation to the Michael Jackson child dangling episode? Is this supposed Ooh. to be a reference to that? I mean, that was much earlier, wasn't it? That's what I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put it past this movie to sort of... To like, come I wouldn't put it past Harold Swartz. <laughs> Harold Swartz would be like, you know what no one's made a joke about? Remember that time? I'm look. Speaking of sacred cows, I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Jackson. Uh, child dangling. This this is not going to end well. This Google search isn't going to end well. <laughs> I was just going to say... <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm either going to get the information I want or information I or never want. Or too much information that you never wanted. Oh, two, it's after. No, no really? that can't be right. Oh, no, 2002. Sorry, that's just okay. when the video was was posted. 2002. So, yeah, it's like almost a full 10 years. Yeah. So that's That ha- seemed right Harold- to me. Maybe Harold's world doesn't keep up with the news and that was that still felt contemporary to him. <laughs> Well, I think the dream team. We haven't. We haven't. You you mentioned in the ranking episode that you you know very much liked Andy Garcia's yeah. performance in this movie. We haven't mentioned <laughs> all these other actors. Like, but there's nothing else. There's nothing bit. else to say. There's nothing else to say. He's very. He's very good. <laughs> Alfred Molina is very good. Yeah. That Japanese guy is still a stereotype because apparently racism doesn't apply to Asian people in two thousand. Sure. Lily Tomlin is is good. Like it, it's it's not, you know, I, the only thing to to say about it, like Andy Garcia is he seems to be putting a lot more effort into the comedy than than anyone else in the film, mm-hmm. and it really shows. Yeah, and that's right. why I kind of think, you know, he he shines in this film. Well, I was gonna say it sounds like the dream the dream team believes they've solved the case. Yeah. Right. Yes, and uh, this is where it becomes a John Renault, Steve Martin flat share comedy, mm-hmm. where they try and turn it into the odd couple briefly. It's like any hit sixties comedy will right. do. Any any hit sixties because he's thrown film. out of his his apartment, yeah. right? His wife has had enough mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, and uh, it's very laboured, and and then it ends. <laughs> The what, next what? note I have is go on, yeah. No, you go ahead. I was gonna. Well, no, no. I like I'm looking at my next note. I'm like, there's probably probably quite a lot happened in between those two. That's notes. what so I you... thought. That's what I thought about my note because. Oh, my, <laughs> the next note I have has to be a newspaper clipping that made me laugh. Oh. Because it says entire nation loses panache. Oh. And I figured. No, that's good. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. And I figure, I, I figure that had to do with them fucking up. Well, Clouseau fucking up, maybe d- yeah. by dangling the kid, or I didn't know if it was them fucking up the case that Clouseau had to come back and figure out mm. for them. I don't know. No, I think. Well, my next note is. What was yours? Uh, yeah. What was your next note? The, the begin, the beginning of the, as like a reception for the dream team, or what is what is the event? Oh, it's, the, it's like the we're putting the Pink Panther back in the museum. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, reception and and there's a good, there's like a good old school, wife joke from John Cleese. That's what I wrote. Yeah, yeah. He says, you know, he says to the uh, to the bouncer, "Do you recognize Mrs. Dreyfus?" And he says, "Yes." And he says, "Well, tell me if you see her," <laughs> and goes in with this glamorous woman on his arm. Right. Yeah. And it's just it's interesting because. John Cleese at his best is his own character assassin. Like mm-hmm. I like this is something he's done throughout his career. Like he he's always talked about his divorces and his affairs. Right. Yeah. And there's a great clip of uh Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie in some in one of the uh kind of comic relief style charity events and they bring in this great sort of early 
early iteration of meta comedy they bring John Cleese on stage and they're there to sort of honor him and it gradually turns into them sort of saying, and then your wife wrote your sitcom and now you've divorced her, so that's it. And then John Cleese is feigning this look of shock on his face. And some on some documentary, I've seen Stephen Fry watching that and going, well, he really was game, wasn't he? I mean, look at us, <laughs> yeah, these right. two young upstarts insulting him to his face and he's taking it not only like a pro, but making a great but comic making moment a great out of bit it. out of it, yeah. That's awesome. Because, you know, didn't he he named one of his tours, you know, trying to pay off the divorce? Or yeah, I remember that. I remember that one. Yeah. So this 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 is like like he's it's really near the knuckle because this joke is essentially about him, you know, uh, cheating on his being wife. Being a rogue. Yeah. Like being an ass. Autobiographically. Yeah. He has a lot of experience of. <laughs> yeah, I definitely was skipping far and wide towards the end here because... I started getting back to how Clouseau knew and... Well, it's sort of they're trying to... The love triangle, the mystery storyline, and the Clouseau character arc are all drawing <laughs> to this predictable yeah. third act closure. We've had these three strands in the film. I wrote down Clouseau figures out what I did at minute 11. <laughs> yeah. You know. It's it's all drawing to this one set piece, right. as badly constructed movies do. Um, unless they're made by Alfred Hitchcock, in which case, <laughs> you know, they can, like the man who knew too much, they can get away with it. Sure. Uh, this it's a. I thought the the part the dinner party parlor game was a fun way to do the mystery reveal. Yeah, it felt Agatha Christie. But it was, but but it was a wrinkle to that who done it formula because they yeah. they're all talking to each other as if, well, you know, if we if we play out that possibility and let's pretend that she's the and then they gradually right. realize that I I thought that was a like the um the Sherlock Holmes riff earlier that was all that was another nice one right. that I suspect comes from Steve Martin's pen again. I agree. Yeah, and even the the sort of basic getting up after the stuntman bits that the naked gun parodies that we see in the kitchen scenes right works fairly well in broad comedies like this mm -hmm. i think horrible. it's the best it might be the best use of physical comedy in the movie is it towards this this last scene yeah but it's they really not a double high up bar on, no <laughs> they double up on the broad physical gags we get lightning and cake face yeah back right to back right which is sort of like i don't know it feels like Slapstick 101 <laughs> class, which is another Monty Python. Have you ever seen Live at the Hollywood Bowl? Yeah, where they sure. do the the training the training video for slapstick with the, <laughs> the 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 spinning ladder hitting Terry Jones on the back of the yeah. head. It's, it's wonderful. Although some of my favorites is that new Albert Brooks documentary, Robert that Rob Reiner directed. Did you watch that yet? Phenomenal, yeah. Uh, when he's talking about the the comedy class or whatever, when the spit yeah. take, yes, that they're the class <laughs> of the spit take. That's great. And so, and then, and then at this point in the movie, we have to recenter Cluso as the hero by making everyone else look ridiculous. Yeah, so we have the right. dream team falling down the steps, and they're humiliated by being behind the eight ball and not actually knowing the case, and that yeah. Clouseau is figured out. Yeah. So we there's a there's a kind of recentering of Clouseau of the hero and mm -hmm. again I'll have to go back. To, it's a long time since I've seen the Pink Panther movies, but me too. I think they did that a little more subtly in the original movies, and then sort of double backed on themselves where it wasn't so mm -hmm. 
pointed that Clouseau <laughs> saves the day. There's more so accidental many notes than that I don't know what they mean. <laughs> well, re just read them, and we'll see. See if it. Well, this one I remember. Me. I mean, I remember Alfred Molina saying something about if he's wrong in the case, he'd wear a tutu, and yeah. So they well, get this him in is a tutu, so, but. And that's with my next note: the wedding ending. It's callbacks galore. Yeah. So and and this is in, this is where I I guess to prove you wrong that my prejudice colored my appreciation of the Lily Tomlin political correctness guru bit. Uh huh. I guessed that at some point in the movie she was going to be to be seen to be a filthy whore. Yeah. <laughs> just because of the way that the movie was going, and that's exactly what happens in this sure. scene. I knew. At some point, I was like, the 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 button on this is going to be that that you know she's a she's tramp, like, she's a tramp. Yeah, yeah, that's how it's going to go. And I was like, oh, there it is. Well, I wrote, <laughs> I I think I figured it out based on the context clues of our conversations because I just wrote down password chaos ensues. So I assume that the the berets show yeah. back up, right? That's the callback of the uh yeah the the, the black berets, um yeah. Uh, so it's just, just, so the ending is just a series, a series of callbacks. Right. Um, and then, you know, the, the other best part of the movie is when the animated Pink Panther closes the door on the final scene. <laughs> Goodbye. It's literally like, say goodbye to all this shit. <laughs> Uh, and again, I never just, said like, it was good. And, and again, I'm like, I'm just so glad they didn't mess with that. I'm glad that, yeah. that they brought that back for the ending as well. Yeah, the pink so panther. Yeah, the pink panther looks like the pink panther. Yeah, and you know, it's first for, for someone who's not getting on with the movie, you really need that. <laughs> All you needed was what for intermission type animated scene for yourself that wouldn't that be something this might be at the top of your list <laughs> wouldn't that be something uh i mean any last thoughts notes about the film i don't think so no i've still got a credit check i mean uh, yeah of course as we're as we're talking about it i still keep thinking you know look i haven't pulled any punches I didn't say this was a good movie. No. But as we're talking about it, I'm remembering plenty of laughs that I had throughout it. And I think that's okay. what, you know, uh, brought it to the top for me. You know? Yeah, there were laughs there. Yeah. Certainly. In the screenplay. Yeah. All right. Credit check me. Uh, well, they had to get special permission to use an animated version of Clouseau in the Pink Panther. Whatever they paid, worth every penny as far as I can say. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly, because it comes from a, I guess it comes from a different production company. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, dialect coach for both Steve Martin and Jean Reno. These would seem to be two of the least necessary yeah, dialect yeah, right. coaches why, why? in film history. <laughs> you've got you've got one one's an actual Frenchman. <laughs> one's an actual Frenchman. The other one doesn't care doesn't about care about the, how the. How the accent sounds, exactly. I was going to skip this note because it's so Patreon-centric, but I forgot that we released the episode for free. 
More members of the Harold's Wart family appearing in these credits. It's full of, his films are full of fucking Nepo babies. <laughs> working on his movies. <laughs> Little J.J. Abramsies. Uh, oh, you had to sneak that in, didn't you? Certainly did. Well, you can't talk about Nepo babies without talking about J.J. Abrams. <laughs> I mean, you know, goes with the territory. I mean, you know. And then my final note is just, uh, and the special thanks reminds me what a what a weird world 2009 cinema is. Because we have special thanks ranging from Bostonian landmarks to Parisian police departments and CNN. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't guess the movie from those three acknowledgements, could you? No, never. You're like, if you tried to do a Johnny Carson, uh, you know, psychic yeah, right. reverse reversal of that you would never get what that was <laughs> you could never jeopardy that no and that's it not a lot you you clearly had lost interest <laughs> oh way but that ship had sailed long before the credit check my friend <laughs> fine oh boy well we'll have to talk about these other movies to see where you are at the end mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm not. Um, it's it's a distinct possibility that I could still change my mind. Yeah, I mean, as I'm, you know, I did, <laughs> I did say on its own terms that Into the Blue Two was a good movie. Oh no, we're not bringing Into the Blue Two into this. Well, I this am is... for me. No, this. Oh, for you, yeah. Sorry. My question is, is, does it go to the top of my list? Did you put it above Into the Blue Two? This I did, yeah. Well, that's patently ridiculous. <laughs> that is unjustifiable. To me, it's just a straight—it's a straight fist fight between this and Halloween Two as to which is the worst. I understand. In the series, I gotta say, it was—it was a bit of a death blow finding out about that potential dream, dream sequence. <laughs> Not potential. This movie—this movie doesn't. Sequence. Well, yeah, but where does the dream start and reality? Where does the dream end and reality start? Hard to say. Those are I the guess. questions that Rob Zombie is asking us. He is a bad filmmaker. He is a bad filmmaker, <laughs> and only bad filmmakers ask those kinds of questions. Because <laughs> for a, for a real filmmaker, the answer is right there, right there, no. where it always was, where it always was. Well, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's nothing left for us. We just have to move no. on with other 2009 movies. We do. All right. Well, we want to know what you think, everyone. You're going to have to find us and let us know. As always, find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Uh, somebody arrest Elon Musk for us. Or, uh, send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. We'll be back. What do you want to do next? Hmm. Should we tell I them? Think we... Uh, well, we don't have to tell them, but I, I, I think, I think I know what we should do next. But you don't want to tell them. Well, you know, got to leave a little mystery. All right, mystery it shall be then. Hmm. We'll be back with some sort of mystery stew for you. <laughs> there was none of it in this movie. <laughs> yes, which no. is apparently a mystery. <laughs> This is a bit of a whodunit, solved in minute one. 
Yeah, the only who done it is uh, who 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 greenlit it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real who greenlit. It's a real who greenlit. It's not a. What did we say before? It's not a grandma kick of a movie, though. Gra- no, no. Well, yeah, Crank High Voltage is a grandma kicker of a movie. This is a who greenlit it. Look at us. We're inventing it. our own language to describe sequels. Yes, yeah. This movie might be the exact wrong distance, though. Which I think is the other thing we talked about. This, this, the exact the wrong distance from comedy. That is it. Yeah, I was just going to say that the exact wrong distance from the joke. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards, we will be back. We'll keep that a mystery for now. Until then, say goodbye to everybody, Tom. If I give a comment when I said no comment, I'd look like a complete ass, wouldn't I? Excellent. Nice bit of... Seeing as we didn't talk about any of the actors in the movie, I, I thought I'd, th- I'd throw a quotable Alfred Molina's way. Yeah, I was going to say, I at least knew that that was Alfred Molina. Yeah. It must be my large nose and, <laughs> and wide jowls that did it. <laughs> Perhaps this movie uh, just gave me the right amount of character for me to know exactly who you're talking about. Have you seen um, Coffee and Cigarettes? Oh. The Jim Jarmusch anthology movie? But not, like, since it first came out. Because hmm. one of the duologues is uh, Alfred Molina and Steve Coogan, and uh, I think it's the funniest Alfred Molina's ever been in that. He so is funny. He I saw g- him, Alan Alda, and Victor Garber in art. Oh wow! In Los Angeles, and it was a really good time. He was very funny. He's, I mean, he, yeah, he's he's astonishingly, um, he's astonishingly good. Yeah. Wow. All right then. <laughs> we have nothing further to say on the subject. We didn't of have that. anything to say when we were talking about the film. Or so. Pink Panther too. <laughs> More raccoon stories coming your way yeah. next week. Yes. <laughs> We'll see what's in Tom's tree next week, everybody. The raccoons. <laughs> Did you ever watch that show? No. Best 80s cartoon intro ever. The, the raccoons? raccoons? It's set up like it's the A-Team. <laughs> and it's just a cartoon about raccoons. But <laughs> the, the intro makes it seem like it's going to be a much more serious show than it is. Dun, dun, Look it up, the raccoons. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, uh, you're, you're, you're joking now, but when I when I said it to you, imminently you're going to see. The 80s had a way of doing title sequences, and it didn't matter what the show was. Yeah, bullets into the A-team. <laughs> M60 into the A-team. Perfect. Yep. Best ever. All right. The one to beat. <laughs> so long, everybody. 